dives in for the touchdown. Did he get it? Yes, sure he did. Touchdown to Detroit Lions. You're listening to the One Pridecast. Hello and welcome to another off-season edition of the One Pridecast. I'm Tori Petrie from DetroitLions.com, your host for this official Lions podcast. It's good to be back with you guys. We took a little bit of a break from the podcast last week. It was a quiet week around Allen Park as far as news goes. So we are back with the podcast this week because we are just about a week away from the NFL Combine. So much goes on during Combine Week between covering interviews with the GM and the head coach to interviews with prospects and analysts and then covering the on-field workouts. It is just a crazy week in Indianapolis, and a week from now, we will be there covering all of it. So we wanted to take this week and do a little bit of a Combine preview for you guys and help you guys get to know what to expect from Combine Week. A few weeks ago, you guys got to hear from Darius Slay about the Pro Bowl, and we are bringing back another player to join the podcast this week, and that is guard Frank Ragnow. He's going to join us and talk about his combine experience last year and give us a little bit of a player perspective on the event. Now, Frank's combine experience was a little bit different because he was injured, so he didn't participate in all of the on-field drills, but he gives us so much good insight on what that week is like for the players, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. In addition to the interview with Frank, we also sat down with Dan Orlovsky. He took a break out of his busy schedule working as an analyst for ESPN to talk to us about what to expect from this new Lions offense under Daryl Bevel, and also maybe some position groups that we should be paying attention to when the combine comes around and when free agency starts just after the combine. So this podcast is jam-packed. There's so much information, so I hope you glean something from it. Without further ado, here is first my interview with Frank Ragnow about the NFL Combine and my interview with Dan Orlovsky about the Lions offense. Monster Energy Supercross brings their action-packed race to Fort Field on Saturday, February 23rd. Tickets are on sale now. Visit Ticketmaster.com or call 1-800-745-3000. Joining us now on the One Pridecast is Lions offensive lineman Frank Ragnow. Frank, thank you so much for taking some time out of your offseason to hang out with us. No problem, no problem at all. Excited to be talking to you guys. Yeah, well, first and foremost, how's the offseason treating you? Good. Um, it's it was definitely uh, nice to have that initial free time for a little while, but now you're trying to get caught kind of twiddling your thumbs a little bit with all the free time. Yeah, what have you been up to? What have you been spending your time on? Uh, a lot of ice fishing and <laughs> fishing in general. And then um, working out, uh, a lot of playing with my dog, Bear, and just kind of seeing the family as well. Ice fishing, man. That that requires a certain amount of toughness. I feel like I don't mind fishing, but ice fishing is like next level. What do you have to do to prepare to go out and ice fish? It gets a bad rep. People think it's like an <laughs> intense thing, but it's, it's it's pretty fun. Do you I have mean, one of the little shanties? Yeah, I got a shanty. Nice. Uh, so you got kind of you got drill holes. I mean, people will hole hop, which is basically drilling holes with the fish finder until you find the fish, and then when you find the fish, you sit down, and that's when you start fishing. I think I feel like most people think that. You just start fishing and just sit in the hole all day and wait for fish to come, but that's just not, that's just not the case. No, you like have to approach it with a strategy, right? Like you know what you're doing going yeah. into it. 
Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a game plan, if you will. <laughs> I like it. Well, if I was going to learn about ice fishing from anyone, I feel like Frank Ragnow of Grizzly Man Outdoors is the person to learn it from, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm definitely the guy. <laughs> How is Grizzly Man Outdoors going? What What's the latest update with that? We're slow and steadily trying to expand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, what the goal of Grizzly Man Outdoors is to have the own fishing show, so... I got I, oh I just got a new camera off of Amazon. Nice. Yeah, I'm gonna start I'm gonna start trying to film myself fishing and everything. So I've been doing that. Love it. Otherwise, through the outdoors is slowly and steadily expanding. I mean, you got the social media going, so you're posting the fish that you catch on social media. So that's where you got to start with it. Yeah, that's where, you know you got to build the brand before you really start taking off. You know? Oh, you're building the brand, all right. That is for sure. I mean, we're building the brand here on the podcast even today with the ice fishing conversation. I mean, you've got it yeah, going. Yeah, I really appreciate the plug. <laughs> of course. Well, speaking of social media, I saw a picture of you with a different kind of fish, like a dolphin. You were swimming with dolphins. Tell me what this is about. Oh, <laughs> I went to I went to Mexico. Ah. For the first time, I've never been anywhere really tropical. So I went to Mexico and I figured I, if I'm going to go tropical, I'm going to go all in. <laughs> so I did So I did the fishing with the dolphins. And uh, it was, I, mean, I mean, swimming with the dolphins, and it, was, it was pretty cool. I like, you like stood there, they came from behind and it pushed me and everything. It was fun. All right, so that's what it was on the boogie board, was the dolphin was pushing you while you were on like the little boogie board. Yeah, it came behind and pushed my foot. I couldn't believe he could push me, but he pushed me back. <laughs> Strong dolphin uh, muscling around an NFL offensive lineman. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> I love it. Well, it sounds like the off season is going well. You're swimming with dolphins. You're out there fishing. It sounds like it's a good time. Uh, but over here in Allen Park, we're still covering all the NFL news, and upcoming is the NFL Combine. So we wanted to talk to you a little bit about your Combine experience. Now, last year, you weren't able to do most of the drills because you'd just gotten cleared from that ankle injury, but you were still there in the middle of all the action. So why don't you take us behind the scenes of the Combine and tell us kind of what goes on at the Combine that most people don't see on TV? I mean, it's literally for, like, anyone else, it's like a, it's like the biggest job interview of your life. Which yeah. It's like... It's like a giant career fair of the field you want to get into, and you got to nail it. I mean, and that's kind of how it goes the whole weekend with it. It's, um, I mean, guys are tense. It's a long, it's long days. I mean, it's early mornings, and it's kind of just, you got to be on your A game for however long. It was like three or four days straight. And I didn't even do the physical part, but I mean, even myself not doing the physical part, I was exhausted after the combine just because. When you're going in there, there's, there's these interviews, there's these formal interviews. Everybody in the hotel, everybody around you, everybody's evaluating you. So you're kind of always on trying to be on your A game, trying to impress. So it's just a, it's a long weekend for the athlete, I'd say. Yeah, I like that description of it as a job fair. I mean, that that's so accurate. And it, you're tired at the end of it because it's mental, too. It isn't just physical. Oh, yeah. There, I mean, you're getting... You're getting yeah, I mean, everybody sees on TV the physical part, but what they don't see is all the interviews and all the questions they're asking about what you know about the game of football, what you know about this, just your life in general, and you're just kind of always having to think and be 
given the best answer you can give. So describe for me what a day in the life at the Combine is like. Even for somebody who isn't doing the drills, what does a typical day look like at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis? Well, you're waking up, like, extremely early, randomly, because you have to do a drug test. And then from there on out, you might be able to get back to sleep, but otherwise probably not. And then you're getting in your groups, and there's, like, different groups, and you get escorted, and you're doing... There's multiple IQ tests that you have to do where they're testing your IQ. Then you get like a break that there's measurements, and then maybe you'll get a little bit of a break for lunch, but it's not too long. And during that break, while you're getting the break for lunch, you're doing interviews with coaches. So like there's there's informal and there's formal interviews. And so informal videos, I mean interviews can be all day long so you kind of have to always be ready for someone to come up and grab you and hey can we talk for a few seconds yeah so then you get into the afternoon and then you start doing more and more formal interviews and then depending on just how many you've got scheduled you can go you can go like that night you can go four straight hours of formal interviews and those were like i can't remember i think they were 11 minutes long and you know from team to team to team to team no breaks team wow. to team to team just giving your best kind of job interview in, in a quick 10-minute span. Yeah, and, and you're repeating yourself because you're doing it with so many different teams, so you're kind of giving some of the same info. So I'm sure by the end of it, your head is just swimming. Yeah, I mean, it gets repetitive, but then you've got to remember, this is the first time that team's talking to you. So you yeah. want to be on your A game every single time. So that's what people, I mean, that's, it's, it's a, all the best way I can describe it is it's a giant job interview. About how many interviews would you say you did in an average day at the Combine? Oh, I don't know. I had, uh, I had like 28 total just formal interviews. And then, I mean, just the little interviews, the informal interviews, that they, they call it the train station. Was, I couldn't tell you. There was quite a few. Yeah, so you're having all of those little informal ones in addition to the 20-some that you're doing formally. Mm-hmm, yeah. They say, I mean, when you get there, they tell you for your free... I mean, you're only there for, oh, I can't remember how many days, three or four days. They tell you, don't spend free time in your hotel room. If you ever have free time, go down to the lobby and give yourself a chance to get interviewed. So you're either getting interviewed or looking to get interviewed. Right, right. Wow. How important are those combine interviews? I mean, the whole process is a job interview with the on-field stuff and then the the interview portion where you're sitting down with the team, but just that team portion where you're getting to maybe look at film with them for a few minutes, where they're getting to ask you about your football knowledge. How important is that part of the process? I think it's tremendously important. Uh, I think it, me personally, it helped me a lot because I felt like that was a strong piece of my game. It's a chance to show off what they can't just see on a, on a TV screen or a computer screen when they're watching film. They get to meet you and see what kind of person you are, how you think of things, how you approach the game, how you approach life, and if you're the right man for their organization and the, the vision they have. So, it, I mean, it's pretty dang crucial. It's, it's just a crazy week. So for somebody who, you know, is, is going to the Combine for the very first time, what is your best advice for some of these young guys that are coming into the Combine and have no idea what they're getting themselves into? Uh, my advice would just be yourself. I mean, that's what uh, my agent told me going into it. And, I mean, 
you can't fake yourself, so just be yourself, and that'll make it easier. It'll be way less stressful. You won't be so tense all the time. Just be yourself, and don't worry. And let everything take care of itself, but yeah, again, be on your A game. Do you ever get a feel for when you're at the Combine what teams are more interested in you than others and what teams might have a real viable shot at drafting you? Uh, no, I, I thought I had a feel, but then the Lions drafted me, and that, that kind of got me out of nowhere. So <laughs> probably not. I mean, some I think I don't really know how it's all going on on the, up on the upper levels, but there's definitely some strategy and people not trying to show their hand and some people trying to fake show their hand, I think. So it's... Yeah, I feel like I got, I don't know, it's tough. So when you interviewed with the Lions during Combine Week, you didn't necessarily get that feel. Well, I got I got the feel that they were interested. It's just, you know, that's the last time I ever heard from them. Well, you must have made a great impression there because look where you ended up. So it, it's cool to see things, how <laughs> they turn out a year later, right? Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how it all worked out. Well, you did the bench press still at the Combine, right? So tell me what that process was like in getting up there with all these people in the bleachers ready to watch you lift weights. Yeah, that's a, that's a crazy process, too, just because um, you're so used to just lifting in a weight room with maybe a few other guys and your coach or whatnot, and then all of a sudden you're in the line. In the back room, you can hear the stage and all the, and you can hear all the people out there watching, and you can hear the announcer going, and you've got only so much time to warm up and everything. So that's kind of a hectic, yeah. high stress. Yeah, you hear like situation. the grunts and the yelling of the counts and all that kind of thing. Oh yeah, you can hear it all. <laughs> so you're sitting there. I mean, before it even starts, you're as stressed as can be because you can hear all that, and you just gotta get yourself prepared on your own. So. That's a, I mean, that's a, they, I think they try to create it. They try to make you uncomfortable the whole weekend and put you in your most uncomfortable phases. Yeah, I would imagine that that is, that is pretty uncomfortable to, uh, you know, weightlifting is something you guys do all the time, but to then have to go and do it on a stage and know that all of these eyes are watching you and are judging you based on how well you do it, it's got to be nerve-wracking. Yeah, definitely. What was it like having to sit out the – uh, on-field portion last year. Were you worried at all that that was, you know, something that might count against you? I know that you had just come off that injury. Uh, what's going through your mind as somebody who isn't able to participate in the drill part of the combine? It was tough because um, I kind of always felt like I was, my whole life, I was kind of dreaming of being able to do the combine and being able to show off my athleticism in those different areas. So it was definitely tough not uh, being able to participate and then those thoughts go in your head oh no what, what are they thinking about this what are they thinking about that and then you never want to be that guy on the sidelines no matter what the situation is so it was tough but I had a great support group of people and I still have a great support group of people who kind of kept my mind right and focused well reflecting back a year later what would you tell 2018 Frank Ragnall at the NFL Combine, unable to participate in the drills, and you know, a, a year later, knowing how it all worked out, what what would you tell him? Uh, do everything the exact same. <laughs> there you go. That <laughs> it works. All, it, it all worked out, yeah. It did all work out. Well, Frank, thank you so much for spending some off-season time with us today. We really appreciate it, and uh, I'll let you get back to your ice fishing and dolphin swimming. It sounds like you're having a great time, uh, but we're looking forward to having you guys back in the building in April. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. 
From the Senior Bowl to the Scouting Combine, all the way to the NFL Draft in Nashville, Tennessee, Tim Twentyman, Mike O'Hara, and Tori Petri will provide insight and analysis on how the team's offseason moves and preparation will culminate for the 2019 Detroit Lions Draft Class. Joining me now on the One Pridecast is NFL analyst and former Lions quarterback Dan Orlovsky. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Of course. It's good to be with you, Tori. Yeah, you're a regular on DetroitLions.com with Mike O'Hara and and that segment, but we love getting you on the podcast and talking a little bit bit of football with you. I mean, you are all over the place these days. ESPN's really making good use of you. Yeah, no, they're they're getting their money's worth for sure. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) I I talk football a bunch, so it's a good time. Well, we're happy you're talking football with us today. I know you talked to Mike O'Hara about this on the Lions website, but of course, one of the biggest pieces of news is around here in Allen Park, Lions getting a new offensive coordinator and how that is going to affect the team this year. What do you think of Daryl Bevel, and can you explain to us what exactly that offense will look like? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the big thing is, you know, because Daryl Bevel is, is probably thought about, okay, he was in Seattle, and everyone knows that Seattle you know, ran the ball with Marshawn Lynch, and so they automatically think, like, oh, man, here comes this boring offense. It's just going to be about the run game. And when you actually go watch over the last couple of years where he's been and how he's called plays, like, certainly they, he's going to want to run the football. No offense coordinator doesn't want to run the football. Uh, but he's much more creative, much more aware of utilizing space and uh, getting into a bunch of different formations than at least I had initially thought of. So, you know, there, there are some parts that the Lions are going to need to go get personnel-wise to really run the offense, I guess, that he wants to be comfortable in and that he flourishes in. But expect to see a lot of different formations. Expect to see a lot of different personnel groups, um, stuff that – Certainly, like I mentioned, it's going to be a run game. It's probably going to be a zone run game where um, you get that offensive line either moving laterally side to side or you know vertically you know to the second level. And then you know, the thing that I would be most excited about is the, the, really an emphasis of utilizing the play-action pass. That's something that they did a lot with Russell Wilson and something that Matthew Stafford does very well in trying to really push the ball downfield vertically. How much of an adjustment is this going to be for the offense compared to what they were doing before? Yeah, it, it's a pretty good adjustment. You know, uh, that, that is a challenge when a coordinator comes in is, all right, this is my system. This is what I like to run. And well, i, I, I got to make sure that I do what these guys not only are good at but are comfortable with, stuff that they know. You know, I always say this, one of the challenges is, Everyone talks when a new coach comes in is oh they got to learn a new system. It, it is that, but they also have to forget an old one in many ways. Sure, so there is the challenge that, and you know it's it's on the players to make sure that you know they are are in it early and often and mentally and and kind of catching up to speed. But I would imagine Bevel's done a good job of staying modern with how he teaches football, and you know everyone knows football is no longer hey, this play calls 15, 16, 17 words. You know, it's, it's kind of been dropped down to six, seven words. So it'll be a, it'll be a different thing. It'll be a challenging, challenging thing. But, you know, it's, it's part of change in the coaching world. And, and for unfortunate reasons, a lot of players on the offense are used to, you know, a bunch of different offenses. Sure. Matthew Stafford definitely being one of them that's used to a little bit of changes in offense. Now, 
balance is a big word that we've heard a lot around this offense. I imagine that's what really every offensive coordinator is trying to do is incorporate some sort of balance. Why is this offense in particular uh, in line with that philosophy that Bob Quinn said that he wants to follow? Well, balance is a funny word. You know, uh, I also, I always like never understood like, okay, we want to be balanced and, and run the ball 50%, throw the ball 50%. But what happens if we run the ball way better than we throw the ball? Then we shouldn't necessarily want to be balanced. And vice versa, if you throw it much better than you run it, you shouldn't want to be balanced. Um, I would say this, balance to me in the NFL nowadays isn't necessarily about run or pass, more is touches. And you want to have a balanced amount of touches. And it doesn't necessarily matter how you get those touches. So if you look at who's our, who's your best players on offense, you know, if, it's, if it is a, a carry-on Johnson and a Kenny Galladay and a Marvin Jones, you got to make sure that you have balanced touches to those guys. And, and it could happen in different ways. You know, the jet sweeps and the jet motions and the screens, they're really runs. Uh, and and so those could be quote unquote part of the run game. So that's really what I would look forward to if I was a fan or somebody going, okay, is Devil able to get the balance of making sure our playmakers are touching the ball consistently and, and not necessarily, hey, we've called 25 runs and 24 passes, that's good. Because uh, you can still keep defenses on their heels all the multiplicity of touches that's balance in the NFL nowadays those are the teams that are doing it balance wise on offense doing it like that right now I mean we've talked a lot about this offense being one that really focuses on running the ball but what do you think this offense means for Matthew Stafford how is it going to help him do what he does best yeah I mean it, it, it's it's such a unique thing that's kind of you know, from an outsider's perspective, but also someone that was on the inside with him is understanding the the, the, the player that he is and where he's at his strength is, is truthfully when he's allowed to kind of push the ball downfield and, right. you know, allow the talent to be controlled in, in a way where it's not reckless. And I thought that's what, you know, really happened to him in 15 and 16 was, he certainly became more of an efficient player, but he still was an aggressive player. And so that that's where this offense needs to take him is, you know, I, I thought there, there, there was a little bit of handcuffing in the past last year where you saw him maybe not as confident as a player in, in, in kind of maybe the offense or mm-hmm. the people around him. I don't know. That's somewhat an assumption for me. But, you know, spinning it forward, you know, making sure that, Certainly, there's there's moments where efficiency and getting the ball out of your hands and and playing the short passing game is a big part of it. But also understanding the uh, the special player that you have at that position and what he does special or at a strength and making sure that that is also a focal point of the offense. So, you know, allowing him to be kind of what he is, and 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 that is in many ways a guy that has a lot of belief in his arm and, and, and allowing him to push the ball downfield off play-action shots to Marvin or to whoever else is playing at receiver for them or a tight end or something, allowing him to do that stuff. Is this a system that can accentuate that part of Matthew's game? 
Oh, absolutely. And that, that would be the most exciting aspect of it to me is this is a, a system that does want to, you know, do all three things, I guess, if you want to say in the passing game, where they want to find ways with their formations to get matchups with players that, okay, this is a tight end on a safety or a running back on a linebacker or our number two receiver on a number four defensive back and, and kind of use that short passing game to, in, in many ways, you know, get my guy, who I think is better than your guy, out in space and, and make sure that he wins and then you got to tackle him. But then also kind of use that zone run game to you know, get defenses running side to side or to get them sucked up in the run game and really allow for some of those chunk passes or vertical pushes downfield. And so that would be the most exciting aspect of it to me is I, I honestly see that on tape being a very comfortable transition or marriage for both play calling, design, and paying Matthew Stafford. Sure. I mean, you mentioned it about Matthew Stafford not having as good of a year last year as we've seen him have in the past. Is there anything you can really diagnose as to why that was? Yeah, I mean, Tori, you know me, I'm a, I'm a brutally honest person. Uh, <laughs> Give it to us. Matthew did not, yeah, I mean, Matthew did not play as well as the standard has been set by himself for him. That is, that is something that I can't say. I also go, you there was very, there was a lot of talent missing. I mean, he, he played half the year with, yeah. with really one number one player. I mean, carry on Johnson this time, Marvin Jones, Marvin Jones missed a, a bunch of time. Benny Galladay missed some time. Um, and so the, the, the depth at the skill position wasn't there. And there's reasons why the Rams had a really good offense this year. And, the Saints had a really good offense, and the Chiefs had a really good offense, and the Bears had a really they're, – they're, they had four, five, six really good players, and the majority of those players stay healthy, and that's what helps quarterbacks. And so, you know, I've said this for a while now. There's a, a myth out there that, oh, great quarterbacks just make okay players great. No, they don't. Great quarterbacks, really good quarterbacks, make okay players a little bit better, sure, but they don't make them into starters. They don't take a, a free agent receiver very rarely – quarterbacks take free agent receivers and they all suddenly become pro bowlers and so i just think that there was a you know a, a, a significant lack of talent around him the offense certainly changed scheme wise and why that happened i don't know but there was a much much less of an aggressive mindset when it came to the scheme and the play calling and matthew had an okay year he didn't have the year that has been that standard that's been set by him and you see that changing in 2019 in this new offense? Well, uh, scheme-wise, I, I, there's, there's, if the guy is in place to certainly have that part of it. But again, being honest, like, there needs to be better players around them. Hey, Galladay is a good player, and Marvin's a, a good player, absolutely. Marvin, you know, like I said, missed time last year, so hopefully Marvin can stay healthy. Um, but there needs to be an upgrade at wide receiver at least in, in two of those roles, at least in the number three and the number four role, there needs to be a significant upgrade at tight end. And yeah. um, that's not a – is that a knock on the guys that were in those roles last year? I, I guess so. Uh, I was a backup, so I get it. I understand that. Um, but that is the, the reality and the truth is that there needs to be an upgrade in the talent that is around him to, you know – if, if I'm a, a, a person who's shooting arrows and all my arrows have a 
rounded point, they're not hitting the target. And so there needs to be some arrows that have, have some pointed, pointed, uh, pointed points, if you want to call it, to them <laughs> to make sure that, you know, there's the people around them that allow the guy to play at a high level that we that again, everyone has seen for the greater part of a decade. Yeah. I feel you. I mean, we are headed into the combine in just about a week. So we're going to be looking at guys that could interest the Lions in the draft. And then, of course, there's the there's free agency shortly after that. So if you're in the Lions organization, you're headed towards the draft and free agency. I mean, you mentioned wide receiver, you mentioned tight end. Are those positions that you're prioritizing? Big time. Big time. Because, again, uh, if you're a general manager, if I'm a general manager, I'm like, okay, who, again, who are the best players on my team? And you can argue the case that it starts with the quarterback, the Lions. Okay, well, am I equipping him? Am I giving him the tools to be at his best? Bob Quinn's done a really nice job of putting some pieces in place for the offensive line. And like I said, Kenny Galladay's a nice piece. Kenny Galladay's a nice piece. And Marvin Jones is there. But I, I've got to get at least three more players that I feel are top-level NFL starters whether that's at tight end or two tight ends and a receiver or whatnot, I need to get that because if I'm not getting that, if I'm, I, I can't just put anybody out there. And um, that's unfair to do that to the quarterback. So, yeah, whether it's in the draft, whether it's in free agency, I know, you know, free agency isn't littered with a bunch of great tight ends in the NFL. Jared Cook is, being, is one of them. And I know the free agent wide receiver market isn't fantastic either. Uh, there are some pieces. But, you know, I've got to – I've got to fill those voids however possible. Now, it's a very, very deep tight end class and a very deep wide receiver class. So I, those, those are two places that are unequivocally those, – those have to be filled by very good players. So it sounds like you think that the Lions would get more value targeting that in the draft rather than in free agency. Yeah, I, I do. I believe so. I mean, if you, if you look at the tight end and Jared Cook's going to cost a lot of money. I don't know if that is necessarily uh, going to be paid off. And there's two kids coming out of Iowa that are very good. The tight end out of Stanford is very good. The tight end out of Texas A&M, I love. So I go, there's four guys right there that are really good players, and there's more. There's there's five or six guys coming out at receiver that will probably end up being first-round worthy receivers. And so, and so going, okay, good players going to be cheaper uh again not having to necessarily learn a whole new nfl offense they can come in and just learn this new one i i am I'm, I'm i'm looking at this and going okay if, if the lions get a really good tight end and a really good receiver then you go now now we're now we're talking we got a good offensive line we got a really good young back we've got some players that okay now now we can really have some fun on offense but this but you that, that, that is something that needs to get done, and I think probably the best avenue is the draft. I mean, offense is your area of expertise, but a lot of people are talking about the Lions potentially going defense in the first round. Do you think they could go offense with the number eight pick? I think they need to. I know a lot of people have tied uh, pass rusher to them, especially. The Lions were actually relatively good getting, getting to the quarterback as you unit last year it's solid and that's what i would expect to get better with matt patricia in a second system and i and i know okay linebacker or maybe a secondary piece but with the team that 
it got an eighth pick and, you know, struggled just individually with having better players than the opponent last year. I just look at it and go, if, if there's a guy that you really like there, if there's a guy that you go, this guy is truly going to come in and not radically change. I look at the Falcons last year, and I know the Falcons didn't have the season they wanted, but that was because they were decimated with injuries. The Falcons did not need to go get Calvin Ridley last year in the first round. They didn't need to do that. But they did it because they're understanding, like, okay, we got a really good quarterback, and some pretty good pieces. What's going to give us the best chance to win games? Scoring a bunch of points. And so sure. I, I, that, that's the way I look at it. It's kind of relating it to that. Sure. Well, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the running back position while we're talking about the offense. I mean, Daryl Bevel has worked with some really good running backs and Adrian Peterson and Marshawn Lynch, and now he has Carrion Johnson. What do you see in Carrion, and how does he compare to some of the running backs that Bevel has worked with in the past? Yeah, I mean, I see a, a hope, to be honest with you. I see a, a kid that when you go, okay, where where is his flaw as a player? What does he not do well? It, it's really hard to point to something and go, he really struggles in that department. Um, I, I would expect Bevel in two ways it to be an exciting a match. One, I really believe that Kerryon Johnson could be a good pass-catching back. He could be an athletic mismatch against linebackers. And so I, I look at Bevel, and he didn't do it a lot with Marshawn Lynch, but he's done it a lot with the, some of the other backs he's had and maybe some of the secondary backs he's had. But flexing them out and utilizing them as pass catchers. I see him doing that a little bit with Carrion Johnson. And also, and I said this last summer, what I liked about Carrion Johnson was it seemed that he was a one-cut back where um, it had a David Johnson type of blow to the hole and then it was one foot in the ground and that's when the cut happened. It wasn't the chop, chop, chop and every guy's got their own style, but uh, and that is what suits a zone run game the best. And so, you know, if he can kind of accentuate that a little bit and really trust his eyes when he's running, you can see a, a significant jump in play as long as the offensive line kind of stays together and healthy. Well, we're definitely looking forward to seeing how this offense unfolds this season. Dan, thank you so much for giving us some insight into what we can expect and what this offense will look like on the field. We really appreciate it. Good to be with you. Thank you.